Good morning, Red Point. It is great to be uh, with you. I was thinking as um, Tula led us off in worship this morning, this call to die to self. What an, what an incredible invitation, eh? I was thinking, like he says, if you've been around for a while and if you've been following Christ for a while, then you know what that means. I couldn't imagine if you come in here and you've not been around for a while, what, where have I, what have I come to you? These guys are telling me to die. What's going on here? I wanna, I wanna come and live. And then I was thinking as, as Nick spoke like, like, and just introduce different people. Christianity is that amazing thing where we come and are invited to die to ourselves, put ourselves aside, our own preferences, our, you know, the, the things that in essence make us who we are in some ways, and yet we are never more fully seen than when we come to Christ. And as soon as we walk into a, an auditorium like this and you don't feel like you've been seen, you, you, you come in, you do your duty, you sit in the chair, and you don't feel like you have been seen. Like, nobody knows me. They don't know what I'm going through. They don't know my, even my temptations. I'm glad they don't know my sin, but, but in some ways I wish they did so they could help me out of it or whatever it is. But friend, you are seen. You are seen. I, was, um, <clears throat> I just love the way Nick just pulled out the names like this, and I was actually going to pull out a few people, but actually he's done it this morning before I even got a chance to do that. God sees every single person. And I can't see you because you're behind your masks, but I know behind those masks are like Mickey smiling faces. Have you ever known anyone that could smile so much of the time as Mickey? It's amazing, bro. It's a gift, I gotta tell you. Mikey, I mean, sorry, Mickey, Mikey. <coughs> Mickey, Mikey. Okay, so he abused me a little bit during prayer, so it was time for me to get him back. And I wanna do it before I actually start my preach. I didn't want it to uh, infect the message. And... Um, so as uh, Nick said, actually Matthew was supposed to remind me to set my timer on my watch now, because I know me, I get, I preach myself happy and then it'll be all over. Um, I'm going to be preaching this morning on Mission Impossible, and it is an invitation to a global gospel adventure. I, we've got one of our young guys here, Liam, one of our handsome young will of life, will of lifers. Please girls, if if there's anything starts up here, you coming to Dubai, he's not coming here. I just want to be clear, okay? <clears throat> there's a clear order here about how things must work. But, but Liam is here because your guys came to Dubai and, and began to connect us into a global apostolic story. And it's going to happen more and more, these crossovers and, and what God begins to do. Actually, Matthew was up last weekend at Highway Church, drumming in the morning meeting, isn't it amazing how these relationships are connecting us all together? It's an incredible thing. And so I want to start this morning at obviously Mission Impossible. I'm stealing, I'm stealing a title. It's one of the, the Mission Impossible 33 movies that were made. And I think um, Tom Cruise is coming back with another one. It's Mission Impossible with a walker. And, uh, and he's going to eventually be, that, that's the gadget for this Mission Impossible. But I want you to... There were some when Tom Cruise was in his prime. I don't know if you remember that one Mission Impossible where it starts off. He's obviously done like a 100K endurance run into his desert because there's no cars or anything around him. And he's climbing up this rock face, this out in the, whatever the desert is, this one big rock sticking out like this. And he's climbing up. And you ladies will probably remember it because he had no shirt on. And he was, he was completely ripped. And he's hanging by one arm like this and swinging around as he misses the other hand. And all the muscles are like this. And... And he climbs up, I wish, but this cycling body is not that body, believe me. If I was hanging by one hand, I'd be going to see the Lord. I'd be promoted right there. <laughs> and so Tom Cruise climbs up to the top and he, and he stands there 
looking around, I don't know what he's looking at, but anyway, he's looking around like this, and suddenly this drone comes up to him, you know, the Mission Impossible movies, and drops this tape recorder or something next to him, and Tom Cruise picks it up, and he, and he presses the button, and it says, um, it, it tells him the whole story, you know, it's a whole secret agent vibe, some guy with a, with a toothpick in his tooth is going to be taking over the world and bombing or whatever, and you've got to go stop him, and then ends with this thing, this is your mission, should you choose to accept it, this disc will self-destruct in five to 10 seconds. Good luck. <laughs> and then, and then the music plays, he drops the, the microphone and it, and it goes up in this puff of smoke as it self-destructs before him. And friends, when we, when we read the Great Commission, which is the commission that's been given to us to go make disciples of all nations, and when we read what I call the magnificent mandate in Acts 1 verse 8, that we will be as witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, we have to understand that in the context that those commands were given, those mandates were given, that was mission impossible. We, we kind of we fudge it a little bit when we read the scriptures, don't we? we? We kind of see the church as it is today and impose it upon those moments right there. Imagine there were this many people in the upper room. They weren't. They weren't even close to this many people when Jesus gave that command in Matthew 28. They weren't even close to this many when he gave the command in um, Acts 1 verse 8. And remember the church hadn't yet been born. I love this season of the church from Easter to Pentecost. I think it's one of the, like, <clears throat> like, I love the church calendar. I love the fact that we go every year to Easter again, and then next year we're going to go there again, and next year we're going to go there again, and, and every year we, we remember the death of Christ and His resurrection and His ascension, and we, we follow this journey to Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, but it hadn't happened yet. The church wasn't born yet. You've got this unborn church in the womb, as it were, about to still be delivered, and against it, you've got to raid the, the iron legions of Rome, these, these hardened soldiers and armies and political institutions that had really taken over the whole known world. Yet the religious bigotry of the Jews, who were kind of like a state-sanctioned religion, and they had control, and they had the power, and nobody else could have any sort of spiritual authority outside of them, and you had the, the intellectuals sophistication of the Greeks, like they were the ones, you know, that was the mind that understood things. Everything else was just drivel and, and pointlessness. And arrayed against that, you have 120 men and women in an upper room. Tom Cruise had it easy. This is the ultimate mission impossible. And actually, in some ways, we're living that right now. We see around us incredible things God has done. You know, I was standing at Durban Airport waiting for Matthew to come fetch me and um, he was delayed because there, there was a traffic jam on the N2, <clears throat> which I hear is quite a common thing right now. The M4s bust up because of the storms. And the, there were big clouds over the, the, the city as I stood outside there. And the wind was blowing. It was looking a little bit run down, I've got to say. I was thinking, like, I'll get some sandpaper and fix up some of those, those rafters and things like that. And maybe a coat of paint, maybe you go down that because what a place for people to arrive at and there's rust on the posts. And I was thinking, there's, there's a bit of hits that have been taken here, you know. We, we, uh, we live in a, in a country, uh, my heart is still here in many ways because my boys are here. But more than that, I feel prophetically like God has linked me and I am South African. I'm, I'm connected to this nation. I have faith and hope. I, I'm full of faith. Like, if you, wanna, if you want faith for this nation, come take some of my blood into your blood. I promise you, you'll feel better about this place. I have faith for South Africa. But I, I'm not stupid. 
I follow Julius Malema on Twitter. I understand what's going on. Do you know what I mean? I know what's happening here. I understand the difficulties and the things going this way and that way and where, like how come it's always shifting sand underneath us? How's this, how's this gospel mission we've got, Lord? You're calling us to the nations and how do we even sort this nation out? It's a mission impossible, but God is calling us to it at this time. And Acts 1.8, this is my paraphrase. So if I were ever gonna produce a Bible, I wouldn't buy it if I was you, but this is the one verse. I said, you will carry the message of my forgiveness and a new king and a kingdom to your city and the surrounding regions and to other cultural groups and to the very ends of the earth. This is your mission should you choose to accept it. Perfect, thank you. And then in verse nine, the message literally goes up in smoke. It says, when he had said these things, Jesus was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And so he gives them this message and he disappears. And they left standing there. And um, today there are 2.3 billion people, 2.3 billion people that call themselves Christians, 2.3 billion people that may be gathering in rooms like this all over the world on Sundays, some on Fridays, some secretly in their rooms during the week that call themselves followers of Jesus Christ. There have never, ever been more Christians alive at one point in time than are alive today. Billions over the, I tried at one point and tried to calculate how many Christians had ever lived. It's, it's tricky. But the billions have bowed their knees to Jesus Christ over the centuries and the millennia since he's been here. The impact on this church has been so, or the impact of the church on the planet has been so profound. We cannot understand the influence of the church in every place and in every generation. I was in Zimbabwe last May. It's quite funny. I actually did more travel during COVID than actually in, in the other times. It was, anyway, I was, the thing was I went for longer trips because they wouldn't let me back into Dubai until I spent two weeks out of South Africa. So every time I came to South Africa, I got another two weeks somewhere else. So I was two weeks in Zim and I was <clears throat> out with um, Dumizweni, one of the guys that will be here for the 820 time, actually, a real apostolic leader in Zimbabwe at a training site that we were, we were doing some training with some of the leaders from around Zim. And I was walking along and I heard this like this. And I thought, what is wrong with my shoes? I'm like, what's going on here? And I looked down and as I, my eyes focused, I saw there were just these ants everywhere around us like this. And uh, they were those cutting ants and they just had a harvest of maize and all the leftovers were, were lying on the ground there, all the whatever the junk you call, I'm not a farmer, whatever's left over when you harvest the maize. And these ants were going along, they were, they were literally, I watched them, they were cutting pieces out of the, of the leaves like this and then picking it up and then heading along like this down the hole and storing up for what was to come. And, and as I looked closer, there were just thousands of these ants. And I felt like God said to me, that's what the church is like. You don't notice them. You walk around, you just carry on. You, you, most of the time you don't even hear it, but this all over the planet, all over the planet earth is going on. There are people doing something. We've got a lady in our church that I met for the first time. She was new in our church. And I said, she started talking and she tells me about her ministry. She runs church in homes for Hindu ladies that have come to salvation that can't, that can't come out because their husbands are Hindu still. So she goes to them and does church in their homes. That is the ants at work. And there's a million. There's, what are you doing with your neighbor? What are you doing in your workplace? What are the hundreds of ministries that have been birthed through this church over these years? I was thinking about how many years this church has been here. I've, I've been in this hall when um, 
like 25 years ago, I, I can remember sitting in this hall, somebody's teaching here, stirring me. I sat actually in this hall when Rory was, he would about, I think he'd been leading Glenridge for six years then. And I remember thinking, wow, six years has gone like that. And I made the decision then to study theology because I thought three years quickly, I'll get it done. And then I carry on with what God's called me to do if it goes so quickly. And so the church is amazing. And it started with 120 people in an upper room. How did they do it, friends? How did they go from 120 to this? Because what a good question for us to ask. How do we go from the place we're in right now, feeling like we've, we've been a few rounds, we've taken a few hits, how do we get into what God has called us to? And so let's look, read a few verses in Acts chapter one, and we'll see. In the first book of Theophilus, from verse one I'm reading, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He prevented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. But John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they'd come together, he, they asked him, Lord, will you, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as, he, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking up into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. What did they have, friends? Tom Cruise has got weird gadgets with watches that shoot bombs and pens that fire missiles or whatever. What did the early church have to enable them to complete their mission impossible? The number one thing, there's three that I want to speak about this morning, is that they had a resurrected king. He presented himself alive to them during his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during his 40 days. Um, your Roots team, I want to just thank you guys. They did such an amazing job. One of the things that they did after the conference was they, um, they um, set up something that we call Stations of the Cross, which is on Good Friday, we just have it set up in the hall, different stations people can go to in their own time. They arrive, they have a little booklet, and they walk, walk through it. They spend 20 minutes if they want to, an hour if they want to on the Friday, and they kind of walk through this visceral interaction with with what happened at Good Friday and actually over the whole Easter weekend. And they did a great job setting that up. And I went in there, it was amazing actually how God just occupies space. So you make room for God and he just comes in and fills that space. And um, I was sitting, first of all, I'd gone to the God of Gethsemane and I was meditating there. And, and one of the ladies, one of our elders' wives, she was already there. And the whole time, I went through the whole thing. She stayed in that garden. She never managed to get out of the garden the whole time. She said afterwards, she said, I didn't want to leave the garden because I felt like, ah, I would be taking Jesus to the cross. If I just waited, yeah, then I didn't need to take him to the cross. And I went to the cross and it was, I don't know who, which of your guys made that cross, but it was a shoddy job. It was like the poles weren't the right width there. Like my OCD was going crazy. This cross beam must be the same as the vertical beam. Why have you guys got the width wrong? And then like, and amazing the little things that God speaks to you about. And he said, but the cross is ugly. Why did you think the cross was beautiful? It's, it was a terrible thing for him to go to the cross, you know. It wasn't crafted and, an, and a, a carpenter made it beautifully so there would be a place of glory. It was a grace of terrible 
place of terrible humiliation. I stood there meditating on the cross for a long time. And then in the corner of my eye, I saw something I hadn't seen up to that point. They'd set up a, a tomb on the stage behind the cross. And there was a light inside there, and there was a light shining out the tomb, and you could see in. And the tomb was empty. I can remember my spirit just be like, like this beginning to be charged like this as I thought about the empty tomb. Christ is alive. Jesus has risen. And then on the Easter Sunday, we sang that song, which I'm sure you've sung as well. It's got this line in it from the scriptures. Death, where is your sting? Death, where is your sting? Death, death, where is your sting? Our resurrected king has rendered you defeated and, and, and our resurrected king, and this is just ringing in my heart since that Sunday, the resurrected king, the resurrected king. And the, you know, we, we have this great, we quote this mandate from Matthew 28, go make disciples of all nations. That's our abbreviated version. Sometimes we say it a little bit longer, you know, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to command, uh, to obey all I've commanded you. And we kind of stop there most times, but it carries on. And then New King James I love the word low. I think it's such a good Bible word. Why don't we bring that back into our vocabulary again? When you greet people, low, how wonderful to see you again. That would be amazing. <laughs> but then you can change it says this, and low, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen, says the writer of the Gospels. And Jesus is alive. Our King is resurrected and He's on His throne. And because He's there, we can have such confidence. He's alive, He's on His throne, He's indisputably almighty. He is with us and He is for us every single day. And His remains are not sitting in a grave somewhere. I've, uh, one of the places I go to all the time is, is uh, Sri Lanka. And then one of the cities there called Candy, they've got a place called the Temple of the Tooth. How cool is that, eh? The Temple of the Tooth. And in that demonic house, is, a, is, is one of Buddha's teeth, apparently. And they go and revere, and I don't know what they do. They don't, like, whatever. They revere the tooth or something like that. We've got no teeth in a grave anywhere to go and, because Jesus has got all of his teeth. And he's got all of his body. He's got all of his parts. And he sits on his throne as our resurrected king. And so we have, we have hope, not just for the future. You know, one day when we die, at least, you know, then we'll be, we've got hope for today because Jesus is on his throne. And we, don't, we cannot underestimate the impact of having a resurrected king that leads us. Friends, we are not, thank God for leaders in the church, but your leaders don't lead you. Jesus leads you. Jesus leads us. If, 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 if a wife would depend upon her husband, how many times does he let her down? Unfortunately, we try our best, ladies, but we know we're frail and, and, and some of us are more frail than others. Now, if our church leaders, we try, but we, we let you, we've had so many reports this year or, and years gone by of leaders falling, oh, like frail, frail, but not Jesus. See, he leads us, the conquering king leads us. Behind every husband is the leader. Behind every church leader is the leader. He's consistent and perfect all the time. And he has conquered the enemy. In the picture language of, of uh, the book of Revelation, he's slain the dragon. That's what he's done. He, he reigns supreme. And there is a running battle, friends. We are gonna fight this. We have had disappointments in the, in the years, in these last few years especially. Uh, we've, had, we've had losses. We've had defeats. But friends, you are, you are condemned to victory. You are condemned to victory. You cannot have otherwise. We will win. No matter what goes on, we are condemned to victory. Paul says in Romans 8, 37, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. More than conquerors. Like, 
like that's a winner. A conqueror wins, and he wins the battle. We are more than that through Jesus. And so every defeat we face has to be seen through the lens of ultimate victory. I was watching Liverpool play last night. Just want to put that out there, okay? I, just want to, I, just, I don't want to say anything about the match. I'm just saying that I was watching them play last night. You know like when sometimes there's a game on and you can't watch it because you've got to be at church. Amen? You know that. None of you are watching the game instead of coming to church. I know you're coming to church because you're recording the game. And then you're telling people, don't tell me the results. Please, I want to go home and watch this. I want to watch it like it's live. I want to go through all the pain and the anguish of it and the joy. And, the, and, uh, and then somebody says something and you want to bless them with a fivefold ministry. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, what are you doing? Like, yeah, like this. But because you love Jesus, you keep it inside and you internalize that pain and suffering. And then you go home and now you know Liverpool have really won. They win 3-2. But then you're watching the match. I'm laughing, my sister. They definitely win 3-2. <laughs> and then you're watching the match and the other team scores and you know you're winning. It's like like we've, 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 been, we've lost now. They've, they've scored. They've gone ahead. But we win. We know we win. We know we win in the end, friends. You know you win in your marriage if you allow the resurrected king to lead you. You know you win with your children if you allow the resurrected king to lead you. You know you win in your provision and your finances if you allow the resurrected king to lead you. You know you win in this gospel mandate God's given us if we allow the resurrected king to lead us. We are more than conquerors. We are condemned to victory in Jesus Christ. Amen. John 20 verse 27 says, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. And so we've not seen Jesus resurrected. Though I feel at times, I think I have. Do you know what I mean? In these moments of worship, it feels so tangible and manifest. But blessed are those who have not seen him, like the disciples did after Pentecost, I mean before Pentecost, and have believed. We are those that are blessed because we believe, even though we've not seen him as a resurrected king. Secondly, they had the promise of a coming kingdom, of an already here coming kingdom. Now it's hard to imagine. I've just got to watch my time, yeah. But hard to imagine that they would have, in those early days, a fully articulated theology of the kingdom. We've had centuries of learning and debate and like opening up the scriptures to get to the point where, where we have this very complicated theology. So maybe one of the things they also had was a very simple theology that worked. But when they asked this question, Acts 1 verse 6, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Many commentators suggest, and, and I think they're right, that those disciples were saying, like, is the, is the kingdom coming to earth right now? Are you going to restore an earthly, political, even military kingdom so that we can throw off the shackles of these Romans? Because, because we want to have the glory now. We want to live in the, the fullness of the power now. And, um, and I think, because we, we don't have to assume that everything that happens at Acts 1 is chronological. And there's, so that could have been one of the questions they asked right at the beginning of the 40 days. And for the next 40 days, Jesus is teaching his disciples about the kingdom of God. Like this is, like they asked this question. He goes, guys, guys, like, I mean, I'll be told you, but let me go back and tell you the things that I've taught. Remember when we were together, I taught you this. And remember I showed you this. And maybe we would have gone to Luke eleven twenty, although obviously this would, he would have gone to the incident in Luke eleven twenty because Luke hadn't recorded it yet. It says, he said, when he said, if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God, what is the word? Has come upon you. And so he's saying like, when I was here, the kingdom of God had already come. It's already coming. When I, when I ministered in power, the kingdom of God came. But then in Luke 19 verse 11, he tells a parable to make the point that the kingdom hasn't yet come. It says this in verse 11. 
as they heard these things, um, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. Verse 12, he says, he said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then to return. And that nobleman is Jesus. He was going to the Father to receive his kingdom and he would one day return. He will one day return. And it could be this day. We don't know when that'll happen, but God, I would say, tarry now for a bit. I used to, when I was younger, I used to ask God, please not to send a son because I wasn't yet married and I didn't, hadn't had sex yet and I was hoping to have sex before Jesus came. I, like, I could, you know, like I'm, I'm 17 years old, but I, honestly, I lived with the sense that God would come at any moment. And, but now I'm praying, Lord, tarry because there's many that need to hear the message. There's so many that need to hear this gospel of Jesus Christ and the things that, were, that seemed so important to me when I was 17, um, and, I, and I would love to walk my daughter down the aisle, but the glory of God coming is more than that. And I would love to see my, my children get married and have children, but the glory of God is more glorious than that. But if I'm gonna ask you to tarry, Lord, for one moment, Lord, it's because more need to hear the gospel. And so we can say the kingdom has come and the kingdom is still to come. The theologians say the kingdom, it's the kingdom already, not yet. And so David Shaw says this about the kingdom of God. He says, it's simply the place where God rules and reigns. It has been inaugurated, but it is yet to be fully consummated. And so I've got this diagram up here, which I stole from John Piper. And uh, it's just a picture of, it's, of um, the age that we live in now, which is the blue line at the bottom, if you can see that. And then the, the orange line is the kingdom to come. And what happens when, when we live here because we are citizens of that future kingdom, though we live in this present kingdom, as we pray and as we declare and as we prophesy, as we um, trust God for healings and pray in authority for healings, the future kingdom breaks into the present kingdom. John Wimber, who led, uh, started the vineyard movement, was probably responsible more than anybody else for popularizing this idea of the kingdom already not yet. And I, he was obviously a, a, a brilliant man in many ways, but, but he, one of his skills was that he presented things so simply. And he simply saw that when somebody was healed, he simply saw it as the, the future breaking into the present. And what is, so when we pray, Lord, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There is no sickness in heaven. And so Lord, won't you let the future break into the present? And these two kingdoms in this time that we're living in, this, the present and the future, the already and the not yet are in this flux together and we get to be a part of it. See, it's profoundly important that we understand it because we live in the not yet, but we also live in the already. The not yet is the disappointments and the defeats and the failures and the things that are, that the losses that hurt us. I can remember some years ago, there was a, a pastor and it was a young guy who had become a pastor in Durban North. He had been working and the guy that led the church had handed over to him. He was on his, on his way to his first day in the office at the church on the Monday, or whatever, maybe it was a Tuesday morning, maybe already a day off before he even started his, his ministry. I can't remember what day it was. He had his little daughter in the back of his car. He was driving to drop off at school. And then he was gonna come back and he was gonna go to his office in Mount Edgecombe and he was gonna start to be a pastor. And on the other side of the road, it was on the end to some, I don't know actually what road it was, to be honest, but it was somewhere there. Uh, a lady driving the other way had a, a blowout and a car went out of control, hit the barrier, threw into the air, went across to the road on the other side and landed on top of his car, upside down like this. And the lady and this man and the child were killed in one instant like that. And you're kind of like, God, like 
Like, where's the kingdom? Where's the power? Where's the justice? And it's like, it's the, it's the, it's the not yet. We live in the reality of these moments. It's like, how do we cope with this thing? How do we cope with things that take place around us that seem so wrong? It's the not yet. Stephen was stoned by the Pharisees. James was killed by Herod. The disciples suffered beatings by the officials. But we are not building an earthly kingdom. We are not establishing an earthly kingdom. We will not raise up towers of Babel to the, to the glory of God. We will not, we'll not arrive with the devil defeated with our foot upon him, taking like hunting photographs like this. And when Jesus comes, we got him for you, Lord. Here he is. Like Jesus comes to take him out in the end. Jesus is the one that casts him into the pit of hell. We're in this, this running battle. We are not triumphalists. We're not like we're gonna, we're gonna win. When we win South Africa for Christ, we win it one soul at a time. We win it subversively. We are that expression of the kingdom of God. Yeah, even if we're not the expression in, in making the laws and the rules of the nation, we are what God has called us to be in the not yet of the season we're in. But we're also advancing the kingdom of God in the already. In Acts 10 verse 38, it describes the ministry of Jesus and it says how he was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power and went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. Friends, we get to do that stuff. We get to go around carrying this gospel message of salvation that though we are separated from God by our sins, though we feel this nagging, gnawing sense of hopelessness and defeat outside of Christ, that God has made a way for us to be reconciled, to become his sons and his daughters, and through that for his peace and his joy to be like this, this infusion into us every single day, to get up in the morning and to read your Bible about this kingdom that has come, this kingdom that is coming, this king that sits upon his throne, to be stirred again that your life is meaning and purpose more than just make some bucks or manage to get some money offshore so that if anything happens, I've still got some. It's much more than that. Of course it is. And so my prayer for the church worldwide is that in the midst of some pretty dark days and some genuine opposition, that we would um, embrace the truth that the kingdom is coming and has come, that we'll be expectant for God's future reign to break in. Are you expecting even this morning for the future to break into the present of your life? I wake up every day with an expectation to let the future break in to the presence. The last thing they had in the three things was the Holy Spirit. Verse four, five, and eight, wait for the promise of the Father. You'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I want you to think for a moment about the impact of the Holy Spirit on world missions. Just think. Think about what has taken place across the world because of the work of the Holy Spirit. Just think about the book of Acts. I, I, I hope I, one of the guys in our church said to me the other day, he said, I haven't read through the, 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 the Bible once. He's an older man. He's been in the faith for many years. I nearly threw myself to the floor, tore my clothes and rolled around. Ah, ah, what's going on here? I sat with my, my younger son, Ethan, who's playing a football game this morning. I sat, sat with him yesterday morning. I think some of my kids may worry about me when I come here. I said, come sit next to me, boy. And then I said to him, I told him a story about this man. I said, you've got to read through the Bible. I said, I don't care if it takes you one year or three years or five years. I, don't, I, I just care that you read through the Bible. When you get to the end of it, you start again and you read through the Bible again. Here's a reading program, New Testament, Old Testament. Every day, read through it. And I said, yeah, that's how the Bible's set up. And, and yeah, let's read this passage. I want to show you how I read it. I want, you to, I want you to see something in it. And so you should know, like when I say, think about the book of Acts, you should actually be able in your mind to scan through uh, Acts 1, Acts 3, Acts 4, Acts 5. Oh, wow. Think about what the Holy Spirit has done. I went through it once, just underlining every single time the Holy Spirit is mentioned in the whole of the New Testament, but in the book of Acts as well. It's incredible. 
Now imagine the book of Acts with no Holy Spirit. Just take that one component out, and what do we, we've got nothing, friends. We literally have nothing if there's no Holy Spirit. And sometimes there's confusion and there's arguments in the church about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and we, we spend so much time trying to nitpick it and open up that we actually remain paralyzed. Like, do we receive the Holy Spirit when we're born again, or is it something that comes later? Like, like what should you feel when, the Holy Spirit, when you're baptized with the Holy Spirit? Should you speak in tongues or shouldn't you speak in tongues? Um, my time is up. Okay, done. Thanks, Nick. No, I'm joking. I'm going to carry on. <laughs> there we go. And, um, and I read this the other day because I've obviously been preaching through this time through the Holy Spirit, and uh, I love this. And you might want to nitpick something in it, whatever. You're wrong. I'm right. Just listen to what I'm saying here, genuinely. And I'll, I'll explain why. I, now, let me explain now. You know, we think we can take a relationship and break it into a formula. I, um, apparently... There's, when you fall in love with something, there's increased activity in your ventral tegmental area. Like, I'm no doctor. I don't even know if that's right. I read in Teen Vogue. <laughs> I didn't. I read it on the internet, okay? But that's, Teen Vogue would be one of those magazines where you can just imagine going, if you want to know if you've fallen in love with your boyfriend, check your tegmental, no, your ventral tegmental area for increased activity, whatever it is. You know that's rubbish. Like, like I think of like, that my wife and I could not be, in fact, it's possible, we could be more opposite, but in so many ways, we are so different, and yet, I'm in love with Linda more today, 28 years since um, we've been married, 34 years since I met her at Northwood School, I said, they're having a play on now, I said to Ethan, my youngest son, I said, go, go watch the play, go find your wife there, that's where I found, that's where I met Linda. <laughs> he said to me, he was replying to the text message, was, Dad, that's weird, and that was that, you know. <laughs> but we know it doesn't work, you know, you can't put a relationship into a formula like, okay, if these three things happen, I know you just like somehow, somehow God brings these two people together and somehow we work it out and we go through life. And, and by the end of it, when we're 80 years old, I'm sure those that have got there after 50 years of marriage go, I still don't have a clue. You know what I mean? Like you don't take, and how much more divine relationships. See, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not a thing. It's not an encounter with a, with a formula or with a, force. This is not Star Wars. The, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the person of God, the Holy Spirit, coming to us for deep intimacy and activation of us in the same way that your wife or your husband might encourage you and exhort you and strengthen you and lift you up. The Holy Spirit acts like that with inside of us and much, much more, obviously. How do we think we can bring it into a formula? So when I say this now, don't lock it into a set of rules. Think about it as a, as a journey that we go on with God. But I think this is so helpful. We receive the person of the Spirit at salvation. And that's why Paul says in Romans chapter eight that if anyone is in Christ, he has the Holy Spirit. We receive the person of the Holy Spirit. We receive the presence of the Holy Spirit from salvation. And so the, the, there's increasing encounters. The more we die to self, like Tule said, I, my idea for dying to self is you take a piece of paper, an A4, A3 piece of paper, and you fold in half, I've died to self. I had some moment where I died to myself, maybe whatever. And then, then the next time there's this, this encounter with God, fold it again, and then I fold it again. And then I fold it again and I fold it again, but I'm always there. And I know we can only fold a piece of paper seven times, apparently, that's the limit. But, but in God, the, tap, the paper can get folded an infinite number of times. And sometimes we unfold it a few times and then we fold it again. It'll, there's always some sense, but every single time we do it, we make more room for the Holy Spirit to come in and occupy. And so we encounter Him more and deeper within us, the greater sense of the presence of God. 
And then we receive the power of the Spirit after salvation. Friends, we need the Holy Spirit. We need His person, presence, and power inside of us. He guides us strategically. What do we do? What do we do in this, in this country that we live in? What do we do with, with this mandate God's given us? What do I do with my business, Lord? What do I do with my marriage? Let the Holy Spirit guide you. He told Peter to go to Cornelius' household. In Acts 13, he tells the church, these two guys, not, not those two, these two, set them apart for what I want to do with them. In Acts 15, when they're deciding this massive issue in the life of the church about how the Gentiles are integrated into the church, it says, James writes this, it seemed good to us and to the Holy Spirit. What? <laughs> this is the most ridiculous words I've ever seen in Scripture. Yeah, yeah, it seems good to us and the Holy Spirit. It's like so ordinary, so normal, and so radical that the Holy Spirit would partner with us. And He wants to do. Like, there'll be times where you say, you and your wife will say, it seems good to us and to the Holy Spirit, we're going to do this. It seems good to us and to the Holy Spirit, we're going to do that. We're going to open our house up and have some people come stay with us that have come down to the Genesis Collective. We're gonna, we're gonna go to that, we're gonna buy tickets and go to that nation because it seemed good to us and to the Holy Spirit. Acts 16, Paul being stopped from going to one place and called to another. What confidence we can have in knowing the Holy Spirit who's in us, guides us. I, I often say this about Jesus, that he tricks me. People say to me at times, Rob, you're, you're a good leader because you made this decision and this happened. And I know when I made that decision, I didn't see all of that. See, Jesus lays breadcrumbs out for me, and I see this much, and I go, okay, he's showing me this, I'll do this. And then we take the steps, and it opens up like this, and people go, wow, Rob, what a call, that's amazing. And I go, Jesus, you tricked me again. Do you know what I mean? Because he said he's going to lead the church. That's what he said he's going to do. And so through his Holy Spirit, he leads us. He will do that in your business, friends. He will do that in your family. He'll do that in your school. He'll lead you. When you try to decide, what do I do now when I've left varsity, as Matt's going to do at the end of this year? What do I do when I leave school? The Holy Spirit will lead you. All of these things, it's not. This is where he wants to work out his call. And then he will give you, he will give power to our witness. He charges our gospel message with power as it comes from our mouths. It's the, the Bible is the sword of the Holy Spirit. So when you speak the scriptures, the gospel over people, he comes like a sword to divide between soul and spirit. That's what he does. Your ordinary words become extraordinary. You can talk about football to somebody until the cows come home and you really all, I'm telling you, you should be Liverpool supporters. All of you, you should. I can lay out all the reasons why that should be the case. I'll convince hardly any of you. My words don't carry power when I talk about Liverpool, but when I talk about Jesus, when I talk about the risen King, when I talk about the one that died for our sin, when you take that into your office to the person who's hard as, as a rock and you find an opportunity and a conversation to bring it in, it's like a sword cuts through. I was cycling the other day and there's this guy that really, I've got to know him really well. I've cycled him so many times that he was asking me about the church and then he said to me, so what kind of Christian, what kind of Christian were you before you became a pastor. He said, we're like, were you a Catholic or what were you, you know? So I said, I thought, I like, we were riding hard, man. I can barely, my heart rate's like at 160. I can barely talk. Holy Spirit, give me power now. Do you know what I mean? We're riding along hard and I'm sharing the gospel with him. I'm telling him what it means to be born again. I'm explaining to him what my life was before Jesus. I'm, I'm, I'm like, and he's asking questions and I'm, I'm please, like, if only we can slow down. In the midst of your life, when you feel like you've got no margin, the words of Jesus will bring power. And I know that guy will end up in our church. And it's not just our words that are empowered. It is our, 
It is, it's the way that God wants to demonstrate the gospel through us. I've been reading some papers recently because we're gonna do a, in a gathering in, in Sri Lanka in November if the country has sorted itself out by then. We're gonna spend some time praying for them over the Genesis time. But um, on, uh, we're gonna do a conference on, on how to bring the gospel to third world nations whose worldview is not a Christian worldview. And so I've been reading this paper called Christian Witness to Buddhists from the Lucerne Committee for World Evangelism. Sounds like a yawn, eh? It's not, man. I promise you. I've downloaded all of their papers. I've been just reading them like, like crazy. Listen to this, the one part they say. The triumph of the cross over the power of darkness is good news for Buddhists to hear. The gospel provides power for deliverance and relief in their lives. Christians should look for opportunities of power encounter and encourage them to take place, to destroy the binding effects of demon beliefs upon the people. You know what that's saying? Go look for trouble. Go cause trouble. You know, I walk into temples around the world. People say, don't go into temples because that might be, you might end up, you know, whatever, the demons. Demons on me. I've got the Holy Spirit in me. Like, what, are you joking? Those demons, are, they must, I just think there must be chaos when I walk in. I literally think that. I, I walk in, I go, oh, I, I can't see it, but I can imagine demons are going, who let us soak into the house? What's going on here? You know, I, like, like, I want to go cause trouble. I do. I want to go into places where the devil is at work and I want to bring the power of Jesus into that place. We a, one time we were in Nagambo, which is actually where we're going to have that conference. I was, uh, I was ministering in the church and a guy brought his wife up. She didn't speak any English. She was a Hindu and she, he was a Christian and he wanted me to pray for her because no matter how many times I shared the gospel with her, she had not got saved. So she comes up for prayer. I'm praying for her and then she says in English to me, She's mine, leave her alone. That's what she says to me. Like, I'm not a very discerning person. <laughs> you know what I mean? But you know there's something else going on here. When the person that doesn't speak English says this to you. Anyway, there was, there was like a, an hour of deliverance ministry. I called my mate, hey, go get a bucket, because she started to, I thought she was gonna throw up like this. And so this, this other elder of mine, his name is John Watkinson. If you know him, please abuse him about this. Goes and fetches the dustbin like this, and he's holding this bucket, and then she just throws up into this bucket like this again and again and again, which sometimes happens when people are delivered. And he starts nearly vomiting because of the vomit. <laughs> so he's standing like this. So, so he gives a bucket to somebody else, and he stands behind me, and he's praying like this. And I said to Marge, I said, John, what did you think I was asking for the bucket for? He, he said, I thought it was a metaphorical vomit. <laughs> I didn't think there'd be a literal, actual vomit that was taking place. And it goes on and says here, we should declare the supremacy of the risen Christ over demonic powers. And through the name of Jesus, demonstrate the power of the Holy Spirit, affecting deliverance of those who are bound under demonic influence. That's us, friends. You see, you sit in this hall like you're a nobody sometime. You sit in your office place like you're nobody. You're not. You're not. You have got that same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead living inside of you. And if you don't experience the presence of Him more, open your life up and say, I surrender it, Lord. That part of my house, when I pray for people to be filled with the Holy Spirit, I imagine that there's rooms in their houses that are, that are, that are locked up. We had a lady in our church in Durban. Man, she was messed up. She loved Jesus, she got saved, she's in glory now by God's grace, but her house was a pigsty of pigsty. I've never seen anything like it. She lived with her dogs in the house. We brought the whole church in there. It took us like four days to get a house into, it looked like a taxi rank. There were, there were packets a foot deep in her lounge. I mean, there was not a single place to sit in the whole house. 
And, and that wasn't even the worst of it. There was one room that she had locked up for like 12 years. It was locked. It had been her husband's um, room before he left her. And when we finally forced this door open, it stank. The trees had grown in through the windows. And some of us have got rooms like that in our lives. We love Jesus. We've, 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 we come in here and sing, but we've got a room in our life that we've locked up. Maybe it's in the area of our sexuality. Maybe it's in the area of our pride. Maybe it's in the area of our relationship. I don't know, whatever it is. We say, Holy Spirit, you can have everything, but that room is staying closed. And the Holy Spirit's coming saying, I'm, uh, let me in. And we open up the door like this, and the Holy Spirit comes in, and He doesn't mock us and ridicule us. He doesn't like, like, humiliate us because of the state of that room. He walks across, and He pulls back the curtains, and He opens the windows, and He lets the, the wind, actually His wind, come into our room, the fresh air of the Spirit. And He cleans out. He just comes and sweeps, and He takes that rubbish and this room that was stinky and a place of shame and hiddenness and, and pride and like, like, I'm going to look after this thing. You know, my, my retirement funding, like, I can't trust you with that, Lord God. I'm going to keep that locked up from you. Actually, Lord, I'm going to trust you as my provider. I'll open up like this. And the Spirit of God moves in there, and we experience His presence more. And we trust God for the baptism. And if you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, the fresh infilling, Acts 2, followed by Acts 4, they were filled again with the Holy Spirit. The whole building where they were shook and they were filled with boldness and proclaimed their word with boldness and the signs and wonders accompanied them. Their mission impossible message, and I'm finishing now, ends with these words. You know, that kind of Charlie's angels, Charlie voice kind of comes over. As always, should you or any of your I am force be caught or killed, the secretary will disavow any knowledge of your actions. This dis will self-destruct in five seconds. Good luck. Imagine that message. Imagine that was our message. Like, if we get caught, you're on your own. But that's so, it's a world apart from what Jesus said in those words in Matthew 28 and verse 20. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And the message puts it beautifully. And I'll be with you as you do this, day after day after day, right up to the end of the age. Can I pray for us, Nick? It's all right. Why don't you guys stand for a second, please? I am... I'm an excitable person, you can probably tell. But I, <clears throat> I don't think this is a, an, an, a message that comes from excitability. There's a message of God's truth to us. And so maybe we are um, more introverted by nature. You say, well, Rob, I'm not like you. I'm, I'm a different personality. Praise God for our different personalities. Maybe you had a different experience to me growing up. But this is the truth of God's, king, God's word, that your king is resurrected. The kingdom has come and is coming. And the Holy Spirit is inside of you and wants to fill you to overflow. And so my prayer over us today is that we, you and I, will be those cutting ants. That sometimes we're unseen, sometimes we're unheard, heard, but we are working all the time. And by, I'm sure if I'd come back in a week's time, all of that, those, those leaves that had been there, would have, all of them would have been cleared up. That impossible mission would have been done. There is a mission that's meant to be done in this city in this province, in this nation, on this continent, and in all the continents of the earth that you are a part of. And that's what I just want to pray for for a moment. So if you can just receive this morning. Holy Spirit, I want to thank you for Red Point Church. I want to thank you for every single man and woman 
for every boy and girl that is not just here this morning, that is a part of this body. Actually, Lord, I want to thank you for those that have been a part of this church from beginning until today, the 40-something years that this church has been around. How many thousands, Lord God? How many have since gone on, been promoted to glory that are with you right now? And if they could, they would shout an amen. Yes, yes, do this. Even more than we imagined we were there. It's even greater than that. Even a hundred times more than Rob could ever have verbalized to you. It's, it's, it's more than that. Do it, do it. This cloud of witnesses that urges us on. Lord, I pray today for this, this, um, these men and women that are running this race. Lord, they would run it with their eyes fixed upon you, Lord Jesus, their resurrected King. I pray that you would fill us with a, confidence, Lord God, not a human confidence, not a confidence in politicians or economies, in currencies or kings, in philosophies or politics, but a confidence in the risen King. Thank you. We have the evidence of your kingdom all around us every day. And Lord, you've given us the opportunity to, to produce more of that in our homes, in our offices, our classrooms, we are the conscience. We are the Jacob's ladder upon you, which your ministering spirits ascend and descend, Lord. And even now, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would fall upon us. Do you just, like a mist, heavy mist, just descend upon this place, upon us? Do you saturate us? Do you activate us? pray for those that have felt lonely and broken and discarded and hurt come Holy Spirit full so open that room up to you today would you just come fill it would you let the breath of heaven fill that room would you remove offense and shame and loneliness and the woundedness that this world brings us Lord God Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. If we were to take you out of the book of Acts, nothing. If we were to take you out of our lives, nothing, Lord. And so we just want to invite you for more of your presence and more of your power this morning. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much, Rob, for your message. I um, so much happening this morning. So many thoughts, perhaps. But I, I, I want to, I want to read the scripture and pray for some people this morning. I know Rob has prayed. There's this this phrase that says, "Be reconciled to God." Uh, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And He says, "God, who made Him who had no sin." to become sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. And that righteousness of God could be explained by Rob saying, actually, maybe your whole house has been locked up. And today you can experience, uh, the Lord says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And uh, if, if, if whosoever opens that door, I will come in and sup with him. For some it may be, I'm a Christian and I've got a room that's locked up. But I want to appeal to those. If you say this morning, I want to be reconciled to God. If you say, 
all the, he said a lot of things. He's talking about the nations, but all I know is I, I'm not right with God. I have not, I'm not born again. And, uh, and the Lord says to you, I want you to be born again. The Lord is saying to you, I want you. I'm standing at the door of your life and I'm knocking. The question is, which is the flip side, do you want to be born again? That's my question. Because the Lord wants you to be born again. The Lord stands at the door knock. And if you want to be born again, every eye closed, just close your eyes. Because there's this, there's the, he implores us, be reconciled to God. If you say, I actually don't even know him. But I know that I want him. I know that I need him. I know that something in my life has to be changed. He's got to come into the front door of my life. You might say, listen, I'm not good enough. I want to say that he will make you good. He will clean out the house. Well, I want to say to you, if you want to be born again this morning, can I ask you to raise your hand? Every eye closed, please. If you say today, I want to receive Christ as my Savior, I just want to give you a moment. Could you raise your hand so that I could see it? Anybody in this room saying, yes, it's me. I, I, I need to receive Christ as my Lord and Savior. Just raise it so I can see it. Is there anybody? Yeah, just I see a, one hand, maybe two, maybe one or two others. You just, I want to give you an opportunity and I want to pray with you. If you've raised your hand, you could be young, you could be old, you could have come to church, but there's this knock at your door and, you, and, and God's saying, I want you to receive salvation. Anybody else this morning, just raise your hand. Oh, there's some hands. Thank you, young man. Is there anybody else? Anybody else? just want to wait a moment. <laughs> the Spirit of the God moving upon you. Actually, that your life to be transformed, your life to be changed. Amen. Actually. forward come one man one young man come stand here if you've raised your hand come come to the front if you haven't raised your hand and you want to be born again and that this message has touched your heart please come forward anybody else thank you for this young man Lord Lord has answered your prayer, Sean and Darren. Father, put your hand upon this young man, Lord, I pray. Touch him, Lord. Heal his body, Father. Restore him in the name of Jesus. Church, could you raise your hand to this young man this morning? There's hundreds of people whose hands are extended. I'm going to give you one last chance just to come forward, just to stand with, with this young man. Anybody else? You're broken, ma'am. And you need to come forward. I'm urging you. I'm appealing to you. In the name of Jesus, be reconciled to God. I'm, I'm, I'm urging you. Just come forward quickly. Come. I know you're here. I know you're broken. And that, that your door's locked and he wants to come in. But in the meantime, Father, we're praying for this young man. Thank you for Daniel, Lord. Thank you for him. We praise you, God.
Thank you, Lord. We ask you, Lord, to come upon him. I thank you for Lily as well, God. Lord, move. Move, God, upon us. Let your hand do radical things. The transforming power of Jesus here this morning, changing us, moving us in Jesus' name, causing us to be born again. I know there's some of you here that you are being born again, even though you're saying, Lord, I don't want to. I can't. These arguments, Lord, if they knew who I was, I'm not ready, God. God, cause us to be born again. Cause these people, Lord, who are wrestling kingdom of darkness and light to be born again, Lord. And I pray, Father, for those that have come forward, young men and young women coming forward to receive your gospel. Let them take this gospel with, uh, with their feet on fire into the nations of the earth. Can we say amen? Can you just pray with these guys?